This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Mile High Fi podcast. My name is Doug Cunnington, and Carl's out sick today. He just called and said that he got a flat tire or his dog ate his homework or something like that. I'm not sure. His excuses are pretty flimsy these days. But in Carl's place, we have a wonderful guest host, J.D. Roth. J.D., how's it going today? Uh, it's going great. How are you, Doug? Doing awesome, and I'm I'm excited that you're going to be sitting with me for a handful of episodes. I'm not 100% sure, and I don't think you know either, but we're no, going to see how what, it goes. Whatever you need, I'm here to help. It's awesome, and you know, you and I don't know each other really, really well. We've been to a couple conferences and had some conversations here and there, but I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better and just hear about some of your knowledge things that you're working on these days. And today I thought it would be good just to catch up with you. So yeah, I knew that we were going to be recording some. So I went back and tried to do my research and I listened to some uh, interviews that you've done over the past few years. And there's not a, you know, a ton of recent ones, which is kind of cool. So obviously you have been blogging and, and writing for quite some time, but I want to dig in and hear a little bit about you. And, you know, this will be really conversational. We'll go back and forth. So, you know, first off, you write over at Get Rich Slowly. So can you tell us just a little bit about the origin of the blog, uh, the the process that you went through um, selling it, getting it back, and kind of where it's at today? Big, huge thing, but I'll let you summarize however you want. Yeah, okay. Well, I can get pretty long-winded about this. It's always a challenge to figure out where to start because there's all these disparate threads that led to Get Rich Slowly, right? So I always say that... Uh, I didn't grow up knowing how to manage money. I know a lot of people in the personal finance space, they had parents that were able to teach them how to manage money or they figured it out themselves. But I came from a family, we were relatively poor. I mean, not relatively, uh, we were poor. My mother just died about a month ago and I've been going through all the family archives, like her writing and dad's writing. And reading their journals, it's clear they did not know where money was going to come from. There were times when they had to rely on the church to provide food for the family. Uh, we were without, we didn't have water for a summer. I, I, I have vague memories of this. I was very young when that happened, but uh, we didn't have water for a summer. So anyway, all this is to say that I grew up in a family that didn't know how to manage money. Even when they did have money, they managed it poorly. They never saved anything. So that's one thread that led to Get Rich Slowly. Another thread that led to Get Rich Slowly is... Uh, I've always been a writer from a very young age. I liked to write. And uh, I remember in second grade, I wrote a little second grade story, you know, with the big chunky pencils on the paper with the little wood grains in there. And uh, my teachers and uh, my teacher and my parents praised that story. And I just fed off that. And so I kept writing and I kept getting praise. So I kept writing. And that just led through high school and college. And so that's the second thread. And then the third thread was, I was always a nerd. Uh, I mentioned that my dad, even when he did have money, 
he would spend it. And one of the things he spent it on was an Apple II computer back when the Apple IIs first came back out or, or first came out in like uh, 1978, 79, 77, whatever it was. Uh, he had an Apple II computer. So from a very young age, like third or fourth grade, I was programming in basic and even some assembly language on um, an Apple II computer. So these three threads ran through my life and they all, I didn't know they were leading to get rich slowly, but they led to get rich slowly. So uh, I always say that I've been blogging before blog was even a word. I, I started my first website in 94, um, <clears throat> started my first web journal in 1997. And the web journal was just, it was what you might expect. It was cats and comic books and computers, just the stuff that inter interested me. And, uh, but right around, it was 2003, 2004, uh, my then wife and I bought a house and on paper we could afford the house, right? It, it all mathed out, but when it actually came to making the payments and everything, I just felt swamped. I felt overwhelmed. So about this time, a couple of friends realized, oh, look, JD's hit rock bottom. Let's give him some advice. So somebody gave me a copy of Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover. And another person gave me a copy of uh, Your Money or Your Life by Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robin. And I read both books. I was like, oh. So I went to the public library and I borrowed more personal finance books. And I read them. I'm like, okay. And I thought I saw this thread running through all these books. And that thread uh, basically said, you know, there's no, there's no reliable way to get rich quickly. You can get rich quickly, but there's no reliable way to do it. But there is a reliable way to get rich slowly. And I thought, oh, well, that's an interesting concept. Why don't I write about that? And uh, so I was writing about getting rich slowly at my personal blog. And that went the like 2005 version of viral. And uh, it made me think, well, maybe I could do an entire blog about personal finance. I thought maybe I'd be the personal, the first personal finance blog on the internet. And so uh, I started Get Rich Sully on April 15th, 2006. Um, and much to my surprise, I found out, oh, there are dozens of other personal finance blogs already. And uh, uh, the Get Rich Sully became my forum for documenting my process of getting out of debt. Because at the time I had about $35,000 in consumer debt, because as I said, I didn't know how to manage money. I, I never, I was raised not knowing how to manage money correctly. And uh, so I used Get Rich Solely to document the process as I learned by reading these library books, by reading other websites, uh, figuring out how to manage money correctly. And my goal was to maybe make a little bit of cash uh, as I got out of debt and, uh, or for, from the website to help me get out of debt. And then the complete irony of all of this is I started the site on April 15th, 2006, about three years later, almost exactly to the day I was able to sell the site and through selling the site, I got rich quickly. So complete irony. <laughs> it's not something I set out to do, right? but it happened. And so that, that, that is the, that's the long story of how Get Rich Slowly came to be. Um, I sold it in 2009, stuck around for three years as like managing editor, and then just kind of went my own way for several years. And then 2017, 
I had an opportunity to repurchase the site. So I did. And uh, I've been back at it since 2017. But uh, got it. Yeah, it's something we can talk about in the future. My my motivation is much different. My feelings about the internet are complicated at this point. So get rich Sully has been a very interesting thing for me to Got work it. with. Okay. That was a great summary for a very big question. So that, that caught us up pretty well. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not sure it was a summary. <laughs> it's more like a long story. <laughs> it's pretty good. It gives me a lot of threads to pull on here. So, you know, very interesting that you were able to sell the site just after three years. Now there's, you know, kind of a, a very mature, uh, like online real estate brokerage uh, sort of right. business out there where you can go and, you know, list a site and sell it in a few weeks. Like it's, there's full industries around it. But back then in 2009, probably a little different. Monetization was very different back then. Yeah. Um, did you know how to navigate that? Had you ever sold a business before? No, my father had sold a business. That was part of the, uh, mythology of my childhood, I guess, is my father was a serial entrepreneur and he was always starting businesses. And he had built a very successful business that he sold in 1980, I think. And the, the terms of the deal were he was supposed to receive 10 annual payments of $30,000 each, which was a reasonable amount back then. So uh, it was $300,000 he sold the business for, but he only ever saw the first payment. And the, uh, the person that bought it from him basically bailed on the deal. And so, yeah. And uh, so I had seen that. And then actually that ended up playing into my own sale of Get Rich Slowly because I was so nervous having seen my father get burned that I I was offered, I took 30% less than what I was originally offered in order to get more money up front. I was like, no, I'm not going to, I don't, I don't want to risk not getting paid. So I took 30% less and that was giving up a lot of money. And in retrospect, it was foolish, but um, <laughs> I, I didn't know that you make the best tr decisions you can with the information you have. And, right. Okay. Got it. And was it hard to, to sell it? I know some people mm. with their, with their business, it's their baby. They, they spent so much time and it's hard to let it go. And you don't have any control after that. So you're scared that someone else is going to fuck it up after you spend so much time working on it. Was it hard to release the, the business there? Absolutely. 100%. Um, anyone who's read Get Rich Solely knows that, yes, I'm covering these topics that most personal finance writers cover, but I do it from a much different way, generally speaking. I tell stories. I write from personal experience. Uh, I never write about something simply to try to make money off it, it especially back then. Um, back then, I was credit card averse because I had gotten into consumer debt through credit cards. So I refused to write about, well, I, I would write negative articles about credit cards, but uh, I wouldn't promote credit cards. All the money that I made from Get Rich Sully was from display ads or from pitching savings accounts, which back then you could do that because savings accounts had high interest rates. Uh, but I didn't make any money off credit cards. And uh, anyway, um, I kind of lost my train of thought here. Um, yeah, it, it was my baby. It, and I built this community of people that I really enjoyed interacting with. 
Um, so it was tough to let it go. And that leads to a second foolish thing I did is uh, the deal I made with the company uh, when I sold the site, uh, they wanted me to stick around for three years. Um, but the reason I ended up getting 30% less is I was like, no, I don't want to stick around for three years. I want to walk away. And then I stuck around for three years anyway. So it's foolish. I basically worked for free when I could have had this extra money. Right. Oh man. Well, you seem like you're okay now. So I guess everything worked out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and this is why I bought the site back too, is when they approached me, I'm like, they they said, you know, we're going to sell it. So if you want it back, you can buy it back from us. I'm like, yeah, it's my baby. I want it back. Uh, in retrospect, that was also, also a foolish financial decision. <laughs> I had start I had started a second blog called uh, Money Boss, and I was really enjoying Money Boss. Money Boss was it had it took everything that I had learned about personal finance and blogging and really distilled it. And I was I was really pleased with its direction and. Uh, I basically fucked things up by buying Gear Sully back, but okay, it's okay. I have it now. It's my baby. It's just a mess. Got it. Well, and if you're all right, let's dig into that. So like what yeah. so you got it in 2017 and you've been working on it. I imagine there was a, a huge amount of content, not, th- not just things <laughs> yes. that you wrote in the past, but all the things that the, the new owners put and published for years. So yeah, where is it at right now? How is that process of cleaning it up going? <laughs> oh, Lordy. Uh, it's chaos. Um, so yeah, when, when I repurchased it, there were 5,000 articles on the site. Um, I'd say about half of them came under my reign and the other half were under the uh, new owner's reign. And to get it to where I wanted to be just seemed overwhelming. So I brought on a business partner, Tom Drake, who runs Maple Money out of Canada. And uh, he and I worked, we performed content audits. We excised a huge amount of material, moving some of it over to my personal site, just killing some of it. Um, yeah. But honestly, we were overwhelmed. And, and it's, with a project like this, it's difficult to know where to start. Um, so last year, uh, in 2021, December, 2021, I realized, you know, I, I've been moving in the direction of trying to own and write and run a personal finance blog that follows the modern format for personal finance blogs. And I don't want to be a part of that. I I don't fucking care about monetization. I don't care about marketing. I don't want any of that. Yes, I would like to make money from the site. There's no doubt. But I don't want to do it if it comes at the cost of selling my soul and doing things that don't seem right to me. And so I went to Tom and I said, you know what? I think I want to buy you out of the partnership. I want to do this on my own. And I want to convert Get Rich Slowly into what I, I call it like an encyclopedia of personal finance and online encyclopedia of personal finance. Um, And that means basically just stripping it down to bare bones, making it look like a blog from say 1998, um, meaning very text heavy, text forward, uh, but with modern sensibilities using modern technology. And so that's what I've been working on uh, for the past year. 
but I've, I've been the process. The process has been thwarted uh, by like heavy events in my personal life that keep getting in my way. Uh, sure. And so I try not to be frustrated because I have all these goals. I have these things I want to do with Get Rich Slowly. And I can't because real life keeps happening. Right. Uh, it's, um, yeah, this is super interesting for, I mean, a lot of reasons. One, you know, you've been at it for a long time. There's all the history with the blog. You have a vision that is, like you said, completely different than the current sort of blogging model. And you, right. you mentioned before, like your ideas and maybe relationship with the internet are complicated. So what do you mean by that? When the internet started, when it first came into being, uh, and I mean in popular culture, I don't mean like its actual origins back in the 80s or earlier as ARPANET, uh, but I mean like in the 1990s when it first became to be a thing, it held a lot of promise, a lot of promise. Um, and it allowed a more egalitarian sort of information distribution. That, that sounds all techie. What I mean is it, it allowed average people like you and me, Doug, to have voices. The, the big companies were not yet on the internet. They, I mean, they might've had like web pages, but they were not internet first. Nowadays, most media companies are internet first, or at least internet equal, um, because the internet is supplanting television. And, but back then that wasn't the case. And so it, it was a lot, it was a lot less corporatized. It was a lot less profit driven. It, a, a lot of what I'm about to say is going to make it sound like I'm some sort of fucking commie or something. And okay. Yeah. I've got a little bit of that kind of stuff in me, but I'm a diehard capitalist. I was, I was raised in a family where entrepreneurship was a big thing. I'm an entrepreneur myself. And yet I'm a small business entrepreneur. I'm all for small businesses and I love to see that stuff, but I hate, hate, hate what I call the American corpocracy, which is like, I feel like we are a nation that's not ruled by individual votes. We're ruled by corporations, which have far too much sway in this government, in our political, social, political environment. I hate that big companies control everything. And I read a lot of stuff online about late stage capitalism and stuff. And I don't agree with a lot of it because again, I'm a diehard capitalist and yet there's grains of truth to a lot of this stuff. And it drives me nuts. So uh, all this is to say that in 1998, when Google first came out, Google was amazing. They had a motto. Don't be evil. That was their motto. They were very upfront about it and they were great about making the web a better place, making it easy to find stuff. Well, now, 25 years later, uh, Google has gotten rid of that motto, don't be evil. That, that's gone by the wayside. And, and in fact, if they had a motto, it would be like all the money all the time is what they're after. And so Google's like that. Amazon's the same way. I love Amazon. I use it all the time. I'm waiting for an Amazon order right now. But it's such a frustrating site to use. It, I go and I search for something and I get 30 million results that aren't the thing I'm searching for. 
I've literally searched for a book that I know exists on Amazon and not had it show up on the front page. That's, that's just bullshit. So this kind of stuff is ruining the internet along with the rampant monetization and just, I don't know. I long for a simpler time. And I know I sound like I'm an old, old part. I, I get that I sound like I love an old it. part. Uh, and I am. I'm a 53-year-old dude, man. Um, so I want to return to this like simpler time. I, I want to practice what I preach, I guess. So I right. want to take get Rich Sully back to this time where you're putting out information, entertaining people, uh, giving people a place to come where they're not bombarded by ads. Um I don't know how I make money with the the site. Maybe I use Patreon or some other donation Mm -hmm. model. I don't know. I I need to explore that. Um, Right. Well, and I have, I have a few thoughts. I'm glad you said a lot of that because it makes it seem like I'm not crazy. But we have a, we have a quick pause from our sponsor Pfizer. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking about that. We have no, we have no sponsors. So, I'm kind of part of the problem bridging a couple of the companies that you mentioned. So part of my background in entrepreneurship is like these niche sites. So you get traffic from Google and then Mm -hmm. we typically refer people over to someplace like Amazon and then we get the commission via the Amazon associate program. So that's how I kind of, came up in blogging and the internet world, which like you said, like you're trying to, you're trying to search for some stuff on Amazon. It's hard to find the, you know, hopefully some bit of value that the websites that I have had in the past and created and sold, they help curate some of the better items that are out there. So you don't have to look through, you know, 40,000 external hard drives you have like the 10 best for people that are traveling, for example. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That said, like many marketers, which I kind of consider myself a marketer in some ways, they abuse things, anything that works, and then more and more people do it and it gets saturated. So now these sort of niche sites, it's there's tons of them and you kind of, you can see when you're on one because they're referring products and maybe the maybe the reviews are a little shitty and generic and it's clear the person never actually tested or right. maybe they hired writers overseas that uh, you know can't write very well in English. It wasn't edited well. The information is out of date, slightly inaccurate, full of fluff. So you can, if you go and review a handful of these sites, you'll see that some of it is kind of garbage, which ties us back to your point where, you know, you're longing for a time where you started a blog for free, right? You didn't know that you were potentially going to be able to earn much money. If anything, you were doing it anyway, especially when you my, go back my, to the my goal is $500 a month, $500 right. a month was my goal when I started. There you go. And yeah, so once the marketers get a hold of something that works, we abuse it and then it kind of ruins it. And then hopefully things shift, but yeah, it ties it all together. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily blame the marketers, people like you, you're taking advantage of a system that's out there. I've considered doing this kind of stuff myself. Uh, I blame Google. It, 
and there's a, a variety of reasons. Uh, in this case, it would be because of their search engine optimization algorithms and the way the way they decide what to show a user who's searching for in what did you say something hard drive, some kind of yeah, hard drive like an external hard drive. Yeah, ex- external hard drives. Um, what Google, if you search for external hard drives on Google, they're going to show you what their algorithm has determined are the top pages. But because of the way Google works, it's it's homogenized. That front page is just filled with the same shit over and over and over again. And it is, a lot of it is this marketing stuff. And you go to the pages and they're saying that they're showing you the same different I mean, the same hard drives. And it's not because they're the best hard drives generally. Often it's because they're the most expensive hard drives. And that's what the uh, person who created the webpage is going to make the most money on, the biggest commission. And it's very frustrating. And so I don't know what the answer is, Doug. And I don't want to pretend like I do know what the answer is. Um, Part of me thinks it must be something like what Yahoo started out as, where they were a hand-curated web directory of wonderful things or however they described themselves at the time. Um, But they were a hand curated web directory. And and maybe that's impossible in today's day and age where the internet is so huge and filled with billions of pages as opposed to thousands of pages. Uh, But there's got to be a better solution than what's out there. The, the, The internet is ripe for some different kind of search engine to come in and supplant Google. I feel like Google's vulnerable. I agree. And I'm not sure, yeah, how it'll play out. Otherwise, we'd we'd both be really rich and we would be talking, recording this right now. <laughs> but I think you're right because I think some people are they're getting disappointed in the results that Google will show, and they're not finding what they need, um, or at least you know I, I'm finding that more often than not. And yeah. yeah, and then you know the other part is social media, which like I try to. I, I'm trying to limit it more and more. I just yesterday I put my phone on grayscale and like turned off Instagram, which is my time waster of choice. I don't have TikTok. I'm kind of proud of that. I installed it for a little while and then realized it was, you know, making my life worse. So I just deleted right. it. But yeah, what's your social media uh, sort of habits or or any, if you have any? Uh, I'm writing something down because sure. I think we should talk about it in a moment. Making my life worse. That's a very important. <laughs> so uh, my Reddit is my social media time waster of choice. And it's problematic. Um, and I know it's problematic. Just last night, I spent two or three hours browsing Reddit. And do I really need to see more cute puppies or more uh, idiots in cars or any of the stuff I've already seen so many, do I really need to read more about Taylor Swift? I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. And so I browse her subreddit and um, the answer is no, I don't need to be doing this stuff. Um, there was a time that I would read books and I know that it's something that you and I want to talk about in the future is books. Um, and I've been trying to get back into reading, but my rampant use of social media has pretty much destroyed my ability to read long form content. And I don't like that. It makes me unhappy. Uh, Yeah. You know, one thing that I will say, so we're recording this in early November of uh, 2022. And there are like little glimmers that maybe the two largest social media companies are imploding, self-destructing. And uh, that doesn't make me sad. I I don't think they will actually implode or self-destruct, but um, 
it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if they went away. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I, um, actually have, I'm glad you mentioned Taylor Swift. I was going to ask you because I know you're a pretty big fan and, you know, part of this show is we just, we go on a tangent. So tell me a little <laughs> bit, tell me about, this is a good shift. So okay. tell me about Taylor Swift a little bit. Um, several people, several people have told me in the last week, they're so excited about her new album, which recently came out. And I, I'm not like an anti-fan or anything like that. I'm just, I think I was in the wrong demographic when she was coming up. So Taylor was a little off my radar. So what's your story? Oh, that's a great, nobody's ever asked me my Taylor Swift story. <laughs> well, okay. I'm in the wrong demographic too, because again, I'm a 53 year old white guy. Um, but back in 2008, 2009, whenever it was that uh, she released her album that had uh, You Belong With Me on it, I really liked You Belong With Me. I thought it was just a cute song. I was like, oh my God, that's a cute song. And I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it. I was like, okay, cute song, whatever. Um, and then in uh, was it 2013, 2014, 2014, I think, she released her album 1989, which had Shake It Off and uh, Bad Blood and all these songs. And I watched the videos just kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember this gal. I, I liked her. And I was like, holy shit, I love this music. And so 1989, that album just became like my, my soundtrack for the next five years. It's only in the past few years that I've stopped listening to it over and over and over again. It became one of my favorite albums of all time. And, and to give some context, I grew up, U2 was my favorite band. When I was in high school, that's when U2 was, um, well, I, I was listening to them just before they became popular. And then they became popular and they, all through college, I loved U2. And then after U2, it was Sinead O'Connor. I always said Sinead O'Connor was my soul artist and she still is. Um, but uh, yeah, so then it became Taylor Swift. And then so over the past few years, I've just really grown to appreciate, first of all, her business savvy. Man, she is sharp, sharp, sharp. Uh, as a marketer, uh, as a business owner, I mean, calling her a business owner is, it undersells what she does. Uh, but I think, Doug, the reason that I really admire her is her writing abilities. I, At my heart, in my core, I'm a writer. And that's what Taylor Swift is too. She is a writer. And God, I just admire what she's able to do. So amazing. I'll download 1989, check it out. And I've never mentioned this to anyone. I don't even think my wife knows this, but when a Taylor Swift song comes on, I don't change the channel. Sometimes I'll turn it up. So I think maybe I just, you know, I, I didn't pay too much attention. I didn't want to admit it to myself, but here I've admitted it to you and everyone else. So I'll check it out and I'll get back to you. Uh, I'm going to out uh, another member of the community, one of your neighbors, uh, certain, a certain Mr. Money Mustache. He and I uh, <laughs> have had an agreement that on the next Taylor Swift tour, we were going to go see her together. Uh, I don't know whether he's still up for that. Um, we made this pact several years ago. Um, <laughs> so I, I need to check with him. I haven't texted him since the new album came out. But uh, okay. yeah, Pete, Pete's, he's not as much a fan as I am, but he is a fan. So. That's cool. All right. 
this is going to be a yeah. thing. Um, can you give any <laughs> examples of her, um, you know, business savvy or branding or anything like that? Someone else mentioned it and I don't know any of the details. So if you have any like broad um, stories. Well, there's two things. First of all, she, since day one, has been cultivating her relationship with her audience. She has been, I don't know what the right word is. It's not like it's calculated. I'm, I'm sure there's some calculation behind it. But she has been so grateful for her listeners ever since she was just a teenager performing during high school, you know, at, at places around Nashville. Uh so she does things like send her biggest fans, she'll send them gift boxes, or she'll hold surprise private concerts, or she'll show up at their weddings, or whatever. She just like, she cultivates this relationship with her fans as much as she's able. I mean, because let's face it, she's a superstar. She can't be out and be in everybody's lives, right? But she tries to cultivate it as much as possible. And it, to me, some of that could seem cold and like, inauthentic, but it seems authentic with Taylor. Uh, second, she's got this whole thing where she wanted to repurchase her master recordings. She she finally had enough money. She could repurchase her master recordings, uh, but the company that owned them wouldn't let her do it. And they, in fact, they sold the master recordings to somebody that she hated. Uh, I don't, I don't know the details of everything, but I know his name is Scooter Braun. Um, and so Taylor's like, all right, motherfuckers, fuck you. And so what she's doing is she's re-recording all of her old albums um, so that the fans will purchase the new albums. Uh, and when it comes time to like license songs, commercials, and so on, uh, people go to her for the licensing for the new versions. And I think that's just tremendously smart. And uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, I love that. That's, um, yeah, it's very, yeah, smart. And then she knows, uh, and the companies know that are going to potentially license her music that uh, they don't want to get on her bad side, I take it. That's right. That's right. Because awesome. then there'll be bad blood. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to something that you brought up earlier. You were talking about uh, social media making your life worse. And I think this is an interesting concept. Um are you familiar much with the Amish at all and their relationship with technology? Uh, just a little bit, but not not super close. I think I heard maybe a Kevin Kelly interview on Tim Ferriss where he talked about the Amish a little bit with that, but that's it. Oh, I should listen. I love Kevin Kelly. Um, yeah, so the, the Amish, the way they're widely known for like, you know, running around on horses and buggies and not using phones and having outhouses and stuff. Um, but what I think is interesting about the way the Amish work is whenever they encounter a new piece of technology, the question they ask themselves is, okay, will using this piece of technology bring me closer to God? And that's how they decide whether or not to use it. So does a phone bring me closer to God or does it put me farther away? And for whatever reason, I, I don't, I don't claim to know what their logic is. They decided that phones, generally speaking, no, it takes them away from God, so they don't use phones. Now, they do use them in their businesses and stuff. Um, I, again, I don't understand their reasoning, and I'm not claiming to, but I just know that that's how they evaluate technology. And so, for me, I feel as if what I should be doing is asking myself, 
like when I'm using social media or even the internet in general, I should be asking myself, does this make my life better or does this make my life worse? And if it makes my life worse, then why am I using it? Um, I don't do this, but I should. Right. Yeah. That sounds like a good thing. Well, and it's tough. You know, part of it is I know that you can, and people will make arguments that you can use any one of the social media platforms in a positive way. You can learn stuff on TikTok. Someone was telling me that they heard that. You can learn <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, sure, you can, but like it always devolves to like women in swimsuits and like puppies for me, like pretty much every time for any of the social media platforms. And it's too easy to digress into a place that you didn't plan on it because the algorithms are so good. There's engineers and psychologists like trying to just, you know, get you to stay on the app longer and longer. So I'm not sure if I have the discipline. I'll rephrase that. I don't have the discipline to not digress into that area. Maybe one hack is to just try to create more than you're consuming or maybe only create. And at that point, you're, you're pushing out the material versus like consuming it. And I think that would be, you know, positive overall. That said, I pretty much never do that. I mean, I'm definitely consuming 99.9% of the time. You're you're creating right now. Oh, true. No, I I get, I get what you're saying though, because I I think the same thing, I've gone down that same line of thought. Um, It's social media turns us into passive consumers of information entertainment. I mean, we just turn scroll again. Last night I spent three hours in bed looking at Reddit and I'm just like, scroll. Oh, puppy scroll. Oh, Taylor Swift scroll. Oh, star Wars. And that's what I do. And that doesn't make me any more informed. It doesn't make me any more intelligent. It it just kind of, it turns my brain off. And I understand that what I'm doing is the same as what we used to do in the 1970s and 1980s when we're watching television. It's the, it's the same exact behavior. Um, I would argue that in some ways the Reddit and social media is better than television because at least you're kind of actively pursuing your interests instead of just watching the Cosby show. Um, yeah, but you're right. I, I think, uh, it would be so much better to create or to return to like consuming long form. I, I really, really want to get back into reading books. Um, I was making great progress on that earlier this year, but again, I've been derailed by big life events and it, it, you can't control big, ugly events. They just happen. And right. I need to get back on track. Cool. Yep. So we definitely got, you know, way off of our outline here, but I'll, I'll reel us back in <laughs> so we can wind it down. So you, we were talking about Get Rich Slowly and it's a huge project. You have kind of a vision. Um, that's obviously a big project. Any other projects that you're working on these days, whether it's, you know, personal goals or, um, you know, professional things, books or anything like that that you're working on? No, I, I'm in the... Uh, I'm in a project-less state. My big project right now is getting what I'm calling the D-design of Get Rich Solely implemented. 
I have it as of this moment, which again, it's early November, 2022. I have it up at uh, jdroth.com, which is my personal site. I have the current working version of my D design up there because since I get no traffic, there's no, no, uh, ramifications to put it up there. Um, and so uh, I want to get this figured out there and then moved over to get rich solely and then start working. Uh, it's going to be a long, it, uh, it's basically a five-year process. I figure to get everything converted to the new format. Um, okay. But I'm okay with that. It's just, that is my big goal. But you know what, Doug, this might be a topic for another, co- this is a topic for a, a future show. Um, I'm actually working through some exercises in a book called Designing Your Life. Um, and it's specifically trying to get people to like think outside the box to uh, explore what like alternate careers or alternate realities might be like for you. And so I have been working through that book. So I tell you, I don't have any other projects, but uh, this working through the exercises well, the big thing is I've been thinking about art school, but okay. I don't know anything about that. So let's not dive into that just okay. yet, but it might be a future conversation. Very interesting. And so, and that kind of, I guess it sort of encompasses, uh, you know, professional and personal goals a little bit. Any personal goals? A couple of times you've mentioned fitness and getting, you know, back to the gym a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, anything, anything notable there? No, I think... Uh, Uh, getting fit, developing fit habits. So one thing that I'm sure that I will mention over and over again, as you and I talk in coming weeks, I often talk about how financial independence and getting out of debt, these should not be your goals. Financial independence and getting out of debt are side effects of doing the right things with your money. So your goal should be to figure out how to set up a system that will uh, give you a personal profit. We'll, we'll generate um, uh, so that you're earning more than you're spending every month. And if you do that, you will pay off debt. You will become financially independent eventually. Well, fitness works the same way. And right now, I'm basically going into debt with my fitness, which means I'm gaining weight because I'm making poor choices. And so I need to, my goal is to get the systems in place where I'm making smart choices and uh, that'll allow me to not only lose weight, but to get fit. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I have a very good habit of like fitness and that, you know, like everything you kind of go up and down depending on periods of the year, periods of your sure. life and phases. But as a, as a kid, I grew up going to the YMCA, like probably when I was 11 or 12, like my dad would go work out and I would play basketball or do something. So where did you grow up? In the Atlanta area, in the suburbs. Atlanta, there. okay. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, just suburban USA. And we, um, you know, just made it a regular, a regular thing. And I was never, I know you probably think, Doug, you look so athletic and strong, but I'm not, I'm a l- little nerdy guy. And I, I stayed in relatively good shape. Uh, luckily, I have sort of a smaller frame. Um, but, you know, many folks in my family did struggle uh, with like, you know, cholesterol, um, high blood pressure, weight, like all that kind of stuff uh, all across my family, both sides. And, you know, I I knew as I was getting older, I would really need to keep it under control. 
So I've like kept the habit up, even if, you know, probably half of my workouts are really not that great. Like I have a great habit of like getting to the gym, even if I know I'm not feeling up to it. Um, yeah. and it's just, you know, it gets me out of the house a little bit and working from home like you as well, like yeah. gets me out of the basement and it, it's a positive thing. Even if I, you know, the gym I go to is uh, very sparsely populated. So I don't even have a big, you know, social atmosphere there, which is another, you know, cool thing with certain gyms that I've gone to in the past. Although, you know, these days people have their headphones in and whatever, uh, they're consuming on their device. So there's almost like no conversation, um, in the last few years. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that if you've been to a gym. Well, well, I did go to the gym twice in February. <laughs> okay. Yes, that, 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 that's what it was like. But I haven't been back. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I, I signed up for the gym in February. Went twice. Got derailed by life. Yeah. Have not gotten back into the gym. Gotcha. So dumb. So dumb. It's so it's so easy. So easy to like get into the habit of not going, and then yeah. Well, we support you. Whenever, whenever you get back there, thanks. It'll be great. Well, ho- ho- hopefully, you and I will be having a conversation before long about. Oh, hey, you've been going to the gym, and maybe I'll be taking actual physical books to read. Yeah, yeah, and I, I um, I'm a big fan of physical books, but I end up reading on the Kindle more often. And generally, you know, we won't go too deep into reading, but generally, I'm reading like fiction these days most of the time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what what are you reading like right now? At this very moment, I'm reading this book called The Courage to Be Disliked. Um, <laughs> okay. How, how to free yourself, change your life, and achieve real happiness. It's really about uh, Adlerian psychology and how to just like not, – it's not so much about the courage to be disliked, but the courage to choose what makes you happy uh, without thinking about what other – without caring what other people think. Awesome. That's cool. Kind of a book about happiness. And I have a couple happiness books. Yeah. What what, what are you reading? So I just downloaded one, uh, which I've read before. It's Gretchen Rubin. Is it the happiness project? Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't read that in a while. And then there was another one that popped up. All these are, you know, free on the Libby app for my local library. Mm. And the other one, is it stumbling on happiness? Yeah. So I'm going to, read those two probably in the next couple of weeks here. Those are so. both great. The, the Dan Gilbert one, the stumbling on happy on happiness is, uh, yeah, it, it, a lot of my ideas come from him and from the positive psychology movement in general. This might be a good topic for the future. It's like the ideas of positive psychology and how they can really improve your life. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to check that one out. I have not read it before. So before we kind of shift gears and wind down, are are there any other topics on your mind, JD? For future conversations or for today? For today. No, I mean, I want to know more about you, but maybe I'll just pick it as we talk in the future. Maybe I'll just like ask you questions. So yeah, I got you're, you're you're from Atlanta and uh, yeah yeah. So. Well, actually, you can ask a couple right now. We we certainly have the time and that's what yeah. I, I, how yeah. much time? How much how much time does Mile High Fi go? As long as as long as we want to. So I think we're blocked off for another 
half hour or something like that, but we have had a couple two hour plus episodes. Those are rare, so usually in person. It, it, have you shared your story on Mile High Fi before? I have. Um, I think Carl and I chatted one time and, and we got deeper into it, but yeah, we could certainly do it again. So yeah. what I gave you my origin story, like how I came to be writing Get Rich Solely and how I came to be involved in this. I'm, I'm curious to know, like, how did you come? Well, you mentioned the fact that you've been running niche sites. That's something that's always fascinated me, by the way. I own far too many domains and they're all like earmarked for niche sites that right. I never, I'm never going to do anything with. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And then how you ended up doing this podcast. And I know you've got a, a big YouTube channel, right? I do. Yes. So sure. how did your life lead you to where you are? And Sure. Yeah. So I, I got out of college in like the early 2000s or so and got a management consulting job. I worked at Accenture for a couple of years and, you know, it's pretty tough life on the road. What's Accenture? It's uh it's one of the bigger consulting companies. So a handful of people will recognize it, but, um, sure. Okay. They, they often have, uh, or for a while they had like ads out and, um, at airports and stuff like that. So pretty big company. And, you know, I, I didn't know shit. I just got out of school, but they, they ship you off and they, they charge a lot of money to the clients and, um, you just try to fake your way through as much as possible. I mean, they teach you a lot and I have no, no issues with Accenture. It just wasn't a good fit for me. I mean, I worked there for a couple of years and it was fine. Made a lot of friends and, and learned a ton in a really short time frame. And I was kind and of- was this out of, was this out of Atlanta at the time or? It was, yep. Okay. Yep. So in Atlanta for handful of years and then- um, I went to a competitor still doing management consulting, IT software project management. So yeah, pretty nerdy. I have a computer engineering background. So did this for a few years and I was uh, very into podcast, actually beer brewing podcast from maybe like 2007 to 2013. So I'm a home brewer. I'm a beer judge. Like I really was obsessed with, with beer and at some point I got burned out early 2013. So I was looking around for a new podcast to check out and I found Smart Passive Income with Pat Flynn. Mm, right. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but it sounded like a scam, you know, earning money online. I had no idea the industry even existed, but I was obsessed and I listened to all of Smart Passive Income Every episode that was available started some niche sites in 2013 and kind of dabbled for a couple years. So I had some big successes with those niche sites. Uh, you know, within the first year, I think one of them made uh, like six thousand dollars in a month, and I thought oh, I'm a genius. I'm going to quit my job, <laughs> and then you know it, it crashed and burned. There's a lot of ups and downs, but you know, fast forward a couple years in 2015, I got laid off. And that was a chance to go full time and, and take the side hustles and see what I could do with them. And I haven't looked back since. It's been great working for myself. And I've sort of, you know, shifted my interest overall um, from, you know, really heavy into niche sites and SEO and affiliate marketing to some courses that I created along the mm. way. And I ended up doing Mile High Five because I have my own podcast and YouTube channel. 
and I moved here to Longmont. I didn't realize it was sort of like the hub for a lot of FI bloggers and, and just people in general and interviewed Carl Jensen a couple times. So we had a good r rapport, had a good time recording, and then it just was perfect timing. I was kind of itching to start a new show in a different area probably for about a year or so. I had asked a couple people and then it wasn't a good match or it wasn't a good time to do it. And it worked out perfectly with Carl and I, and that's how we started the show. So I, I kind of came sideways into, into the FI community, which is really interesting because I think a lot of the side hustle folks and entrepreneurs and FI people have very similar values, but they don't talk very much or they like yeah, kind of yeah. eat each other up instead of like work together, which is, you've observed that too, right? Yeah. Well, I, just, I know that there are different uh, communities where there's overlap. If you do the Venn diagram, there's overlap, but they don't actually, there's not a lot of communication. And uh, so it's, it's not just side hustles, it's other topics too. So do you consider yourself financially independent yourself? Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, technically probably a couple years ago, we hit that point. Uh, my wife does still work <clears throat> so that, you know, eases things. And then I've still been working as well. But yeah, if you do the math and, you know, you kind of follow a 4% guideline, we're in pretty good shape and, you know, things shift, expenses go up and down, but yeah, we're, we're in good shape. So we, we consider ourselves fine. Yeah. Uh, for myself, you said you came into the FI space kind of sideways and, and me too. I mean, uh, I never set out to write about financial independence. The, the concept existed in 2006. Uh, I mean, it's existed for since the middle of the 1800s, but um, yeah, it wasn't something that I was pursuing. And in fact, I never identified with the financial independence movement until I met uh, Pete, Mr. Money Mustache, in 2012 at uh, FinCon in Denver. And uh, yeah, that, that's really my first introduction to financial, the whole financial independence conversation, I guess. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's funny how it, it works out that way. And I wanted to point out, this is something that's always amused me. I don't know whether I've ever brought it up in a podcast uh, before or even written about it. But, you know, in uh, Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, there's this uh, community of like super rich people that they go off, they go off to Colorado and they go into the mountains of Colorado and they create Galt Gulch and that's where they're going to live. And I just think it's hilarious that Longmont has become this... Uh, financial independence mecca because it sort of mirrors that except for the fact that uh the people in the financial independence movement do not mirror ayn rand's uh philosophy it's right funny. right I, I forgot i haven't read that in 10 years or something like that i, I, I read, I read it in that. the early 90s just at fresh out of college i read it <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah um and I was going to mention too, sort of the, the YouTube stuff, like along the way. So I have, you know, technically two YouTube channels, two podcasts, um, a blog and some online courses. And I kind of just slowly built, uh, different layers on top. So I was a podcasting mm. fan and like a talk radio fan growing up as a kid. And I really wanted to start a podcast, but I knew I would be a little too busy and I didn't want to overwhelm myself. So I waited a little while. So I didn't start my own show until 2019. 
And before that, I, w- I started to dabble a little bit more on YouTube, maybe in 2015, just a little bit, and maybe have a couple videos out. And then really in late 2016 or so, then I started publishing a lot more. And like many YouTube channels, the first many videos are just a wreck. You know, I'm scared of the camera. It moves right. too slow. Just, you know, really really poor quality all around, but like anything, you can develop some skills and and try to do better. So after, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different videos, I've gotten a little bit better. And I think, you know, part of it is just, you know, starting from 2016 and then just consistently like trying to get better, like it has grown, um, just over time. So it's been, it's yeah. been fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I'm impressed actually with the amount of uh, work you do. It sounds like you've got quite a, quite a few balls in the air. Yeah. And I, like a lot of it is just working ahead and there's a lot of output, but usually I'm only working maybe like four hours a day, um, three to four days a week. So I've definitely like scaled down where this is one thing that I've struggled with. So a lot of people that I came up with or that I learned from, they're trying to grow businesses as as big as possible and do more and more. And they never, you know, take their foot off the accelerator. They just keep pushing and pushing. But luckily I did discover the Phi community and I was like, oh, this is enough. Like I can just kind of coast a little bit and I still have the drive. I struggle with it because it is fun to earn money and the things that I'm working on are things that I enjoy. So I'm not like actively trying to get away from it. Like it, it was a job. So I, I do struggle with like, do I need to keep doing this? Like is the opportunity cost worth it to do work instead of go for a walk outside? So right. it's a little tough and I've been trying as hard as I can to just be lazy for the last couple of years. <laughs> so. You know, that, that, that might be a good conversation for us too, is uh, the notion of enough. I don't know whether you and Carl have explored that already, but. Uh, not, uh, not exactly. That, that's a great idea. Yeah. So, it's, uh, well, um, any other questions for me that you could think of? No, what are your plans for the future? You asked me about like, what, what are, what am I after? What are you after here in the next yeah. year, three, five years? So one, how about like the next three months? I, I don't look too okay, far out. Okay, sure. Three but, months. Um, yeah. Yeah. That scared me for a second. I was like five years. Ooh, I have Holy no shit. clue. Uh, so <laughs> in the short term, similar to you, I have a blog that has been neglected for a little while and it needs to be updated. I don't have nearly as much content. I maybe have like 200 posts I need to go through and I've already deleted maybe 300 of them over the last little bit, but I need to go through and update them. And that's one thing that I'm struggling with. I'm not sure I want to right again, kind of the opportunity cost. And I'm not sure, you know, how to, how to even, figure out if I want to spend time on it. So I am breaking it down to smaller pieces. And, and part of it is just like, you know, get your ass in the seat and, um, you know, do the work. And it's it's not yeah. a bad thing. Uh, similar to uh, sitting down and reading a long form book, you know, writing, and I don't have a writing background, but sitting down and writing is very fulfilling. 
if I can, you know, you know, do it for more than say 45 minutes, you know, 45 minutes to maybe 90 minutes. It's kind of a perfect window. And I feel like I've gotten so much done. My brain feels better. And I, I actually don't even want to hop on social media or do anything where I'm wasting my time after that. It's weird. Yeah. So, so that's one thing. Um, another is, you know, this show mile high fi. So Carl and I have had, um, you know, some challenges with scheduling, which is part of the reason, you know, you're recording with me here. Yeah. So we are barely carving out enough time to produce the show. And we also have another show in our network that I produce and that's rebel entrepreneur with Alan Donigan. So oh, yeah. it doesn't take a, a lot of time, but there's, you know, there's some mental load with just managing a show. And, you know, there's a lot of people counting on the show publishing at the right time and like no mistakes happening. So I'm hoping Carl and I are going to be able to, you know, sync up and do some, you know, actual marketing and try to grow the show. So there are, there are some very clear things you can do, like being guests on other shows, asking for favors from, you know, people that we've helped out in the past. So there's some things that we could definitely do that we just haven't had time to do or, well, I, I, I assume that's it either time or we just haven't made it a priority to say like, we need to go and promote the show and get some more people to listen. So, and yeah, uh, go ahead. Were you going to ask a question? No, no I, I'm just thinking about, this all still sounds pretty ambitious to me. I'm, uh, I find the older I get, the less ambition I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> funny, funny. You mentioned that. Cause I, I interview on my other show, a lot of people, uh, for success stories. So I've been interviewing some people in their twenties and they're, you know, they're hungry, they're motivated. And I'm like, I don't have that kind of energy, but you can knock yourself out. I think it's great what you're doing, but like, I just, I want to go to bed at like nine o'clock and, you know, get eight hours of sleep. I think this gets to the whole notion of enough again. It's like, um, I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate to reach the point where maybe I have enough and maybe that's why I'm not as ambitious as I once was. And maybe that's why it takes me so long to get anything done. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it does make sense that we would just be a little bit more tired, but yeah, there's the logical part where it's like, okay, if you have enough, then you should do that thing for free. And if you're not going to do it for free, then maybe you shouldn't do it at all. So you can't apply it to everything, but I think there's some, there's something to that. I, I love the way you just put that because that's essentially where I'm at with get rich slowly is I have enough. So I'm going to do this thing for free. I am going to, set up a donation model, but it's like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm stepping outside the bullshit. I'm like, nah, fuck it. Let's do it for free. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, I, I think we'll probably be struggling with it in, like for, for months. And like, sometimes we'll feel like, Oh, this, this is a good thing. I would do this for free. And other times you're, you would definitely want to do something else. So awesome. Yeah. Well, as we're wrapping up here, you're guest hosting on this show. So I'm just curious, like what your motivation was when, when Carl was like, Hey, can you fill in a little bit? Um, yeah. Why are you, why are you sitting with me here? Honestly, my motivation is Carl has been amazing to me. Just like 
he's been so warm and welcoming and helpful and just, he's just a good guy. And so when he asked me if I'd be willing to host, I'm like, yeah, Carl, if you're listening to this, don't get too big of a head. Uh, but yeah, it's like, no, I would do anything he asked me to. So I, I'm not, I don't have any like selfish personal motivation for being on the show. Eh, okay. That's not exactly true. I do want to like, uh, learn more about this process. I've told you this in private that I, I wouldn't mind uh, starting a podcast of my own or especially a YouTube channel. And so I do want to learn some of the skills from a selfish perspective, but really my sole motivation was Carl's like, Hey, can you do this? I'm like, yeah, anything to help you out. I'll do it. Awesome. I'll make sure he doesn't listen to the show typically, but I'll make sure he listens to this part. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you do have some videos on your YouTube channel and I've actually checked out a few and there were, there were a couple um, that I, I was like, I actually read a book based on a recommendation you made and sort of changed oh, that right? a, few, a few things that I was doing. So I do hope you, you know, get get the uh, sort of motivation and the drive to like do, do more of that stuff. And yeah, hopefully um, I will be able to teach you a little bit about uh, YouTube. Yeah, I would love it. It's funny. I made a, uh, so I recorded something like 69 episodes of what I called morning musings, which is just me walking around with my dog recording on an iPhone. I did that during the, the end of 2020, uh, then just stopped. And then January 1st of this year, I recorded a video saying, Hey, I'm back. I'm going to be recording videos. And then as I've said several times on this episode, big, ugly events have come up this year. And so I've recorded nothing. So at this point, as we're getting near the end of the year, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to record another episode on January 1st saying, hey, I'm back. And so <laughs> my goal is to start doing videos again on January 1st. Cool. And uh, uh, irregularly spaced, but yeah. I love it. Awesome. Well, JD, this has been amazing. Um, I'm excited to record some more with you. Where should people find you online? Um, you know, usually I say just getrichslowly.org. It's .org, not .com. Um, but the reality is I think I'm going to try to get my personal site back up and running. Uh, so I, I, like I said, I started blogging before blog was even a word. Um, so I've had a personal site for a long, long time. Um, and I think I'm going to, just as I'm remodeling Get Rich Slowly, I think I'm going to remodel jdroth.com uh, and try to get it into shape too. So Get Rich Slowly is the primary place if you're interested in personal finance. But if you want to read what I think about Taylor Swift and cats and comic books and Star Wars, go to JDRoth.com. Awesome. And you were telling me about your TikTok before you do dances. Is that oh, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, just, just kidding. <laughs> well, uh, I, I would TikTok, love to so see. I, I, would, I hate it with a fiery burning passion. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, so the we'll, epitome of everything is wrong with the United States or, or with the world is TikTok. It is. It's, it's so bad. It's so bad. So we'll link up and JD doesn't have a TikTok to my knowledge, but we'll link up to everything. <laughs> I soon. do, but there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the next time, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, me too. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, Tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. 
maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week. starting to record now. And I recently switched over to decaf like 90% of the time. And the sad part is I love coffee and I love caffeine. And I I am now sleeping a lot better. So, you know, with the Apple Watch, and I think I maybe mentioned this to you. So it's like empirically, like very clear 30 to 45 minutes more sleep per night. Um, mm. by cutting way down on the caffeine. So I still have it like once a week and I love it, but it makes me sad because I do want the caffeine. I want the rush. I want the caffeine, but I, I really enjoy the sleep. I, I think the caffeine is a crutch for me. Um, and I, because I'm eating poorly and because I'm not exercising, uh, the caffeine is what helps me get going instead of just natural getting going and so i need to it would be good for me to revert to my former non-coffee ways right and just drink tea and what we did well again like i said i love coffee so keep doing it if if it works for you but what i did was i didn't even tell my wife but i started tapering it down so i grind my own beans so i went from you know basically 10% decaf down to like 10% caffeinated with 90% decaf. She didn't even notice. I started not enjoying the coffee as much. I mean, just because afterwards I wasn't getting like the dopamine and caffeine rush, but yeah. she didn't realize it. And there was no uh, like caffeine withdrawal or, or anything like that. It was just very gradual over like. But because you months. tapered. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So if you do it, you know, you could ease yourself off of it. And it'll be all right. You know, we did half calf uh, for, I think all during uh, the pandemic, we were doing half calf and uh, maybe we should go back, but really the solution. And I don't know why I don't implement it is to start going to the gym and uh, to eat yeah. better. That'll I, be- I'm moving in the right direction with the diet, but the, yeah. the I, I cannot make myself get into the gym. It's a problem. That'll be, that'll be a topic for another day. I love talking about that. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good.